0: Joining us to talk about some of the big challenges which the World Economic Forum actually sees going forward um, and also a little bit about the India story, the President of the World Economic Forum. Thank you very much, sir, for being with us. Um, Let's talk a little bit about India since we are an Indian network. Um, In as much as a lot of what I described, Mr. Brenda, actually does affect India as well, there is a sense of hope because of the GDP numbers. Where does the, the World Economic Forum actually see India heading?
1: So, we are still expecting this year India to be the fastest growing of the large economies uh, in the world. Right. And we think that's also going to continue in 2024. India is on a great uh, growth trajectory. Mm-hmm. But, of course, the situation in the world is also... Uh, affecting India. If uh, things were uh, not so gloomy, mm-hmm. if there were no recessions in other countries, the growth would even have been higher. Right. So India is not operating in isolation. But we also do see uh, with the change in the global value change that more manufacturing is now being located in India. Before India used to be um, the back office of the world, yes. but now we see also more
0: industrialization and that's good. And do you see a lot of that coming from China as well, which has been hit a lot by COVID? Uh, Do you see a shift from industries in China to India? For example, we've seen some leading companies like Apple uh, really set up in India of late. But do you see that as being a trend?
1: Generally, I think companies are uh, diversifying more their supply chains. It's not anymore only about just in time, it's also just in case. We do also see some French shoring as you are alluding to, I think, indirectly. Right. Uh, and uh, I think uh, India is benefiting from this. We are also, though, more optimistic when it comes to Chinese growth mm-hmm. uh, after the summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think in 2024, we are expecting also quite considerable growth in China. No, of course, they're struggling uh, with the short-term effects of COVID.
0: You use the word short-term effects. You are optimistic that the Chinese economy will bounce back because that's come at considerable cost. I mean, they've opened it up. Um, A lot of people have suffered as a result. Their own numbers are now starting to come out. They are very large. Uh, How much longer do you see before we see China actually grow economically once again? So
1: we do expect uh, that China by end of the spring uh, will again see uh, a real pick-up uh, in the growth numbers. We also know that uh, the Chinese leadership is now mm-hmm. focusing uh, a lot on also deregulation mm-hmm. and also on reforms uh, related uh, to the tech sector. So uh, China is also the second largest economy in the world. So if uh, there is then a stimulus in the home market for consumption that will not only mean a lot for Chinese companies, but that is also a very good stimulus to the global economy because uh, there are 1.4 billion Chinese now that Mm -hmm. after the lockdowns that have gone on for some time Mm -hmm. will also be very eager
0: to consume and not at least to travel. Uh, Sure, absolutely. And that's opening up. Let's talk a little bit about what um, the risks report actually has come out with climate change the biggest global risk over the next decade Um, how does that factor into a lot of your analysis going forward?
1: It is true that uh, climate change uh, is not something theoretically happening uh, with our children or grandchildren it's happening here and now and we saw it last summer many places uh, on our planet is uh, having huge challenges with the heat and we also see floods Uh, We have seen droughts, so the cost of inaction Mm -hmm. in our view far exceeds the cost of action when it comes to climate change. So we have to really walk the talk, we have to introduce the renewables very fast, we have to uh, also double down on the energy transition. Uh, because if we don't get um, those things done, uh, we will see huge cost for humanity uh, in the future, and there will places on our planet that is not
0: possible to live. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the Ukraine situation. We are in Europe. Europe, you know, it's, it feels the crisis perhaps more than the other continents. So this is obviously being felt at, at so many levels. It's almost unbelievable, but we are worried around the world about the prospect of the possibility of, uh, you know, nuclear weapons, the tactical nuclear weapons being used. Who would have thought that four years back or five years back you'd have a, a session in, in the WEF on that? You wouldn't, but now you are. Um, is, is, is that something we really need to be thinking about, that we are talking about a situation in the Ukraine which is really spiraled out of control?
1: There's always a danger for further escalations, but it's not only the Ukraine crisis that is... Uh, negatively impacting the geopolitics of the world. We have uh, East Asia and the Chinese uh, Sea. We also have the border between China and India that is not that peaceful Mm -hmm. uh, for the moment. So we need now uh, to solve things at the negotiating table and speak to each other and inject trust instead of trying to solve things uh, fighting. On the Ukraine uh, uh, war, Mm -hmm. it is uh, Russia that tried to invade Ukraine. They have never questioned the borders of Ukraine, uh, and the attacks we're seeing now is breaking also with basic international law. You should never attack civilians. They should never be a target uh, for a war. How this will play out uh, moving forward is hard to see, but of course, Mr. Putin thought he was going to take Kiev in a day, or a week, or a month. That's not uh, where it is now, and uh, the amount and the strength of the Ukrainian people, I think, has uh, surprised us all. They're not going to give in uh, on this thing. So what we have to hope for is that there is no further de-escalation that has huge ramifications for Europe and the rest of the world.
0: And yet when you look at Russia and the role of Russia, oil imports continue. India believes in our national interest. We need to continue or in fact even increase in importing Russian oil. But the point mentioned by the government of India Is that look the amount that we are importing now is actually a fraction of what Europe continues to import and therefore um, the world is interdependent Um, you can't stop Russian oil imports it's in no one's interest so um, I I hear your arguments the World Economic Forum doesn't
1: have a view on this Uh, we we are an impartial organization but it's a complex energy uh, picture we are uh, seeing what is the fact is that Europe is not importing uh, a lot of russian gas anymore mm-hmm. it has diversified its energy sourcing and the energy prices are going down mm-hmm. now to everyone's surprise in yes. europe mm-hmm. and uh, things are looking a little bit better when it comes to the russian economy uh, we are very bearish on uh, the years to come we're seeing the economy is contracting uh, quite severely mm-hmm. even with this kind of high prices for uh, oil uh, the Russian economy is really, really struggling and people will have less uh, money available and it is an economy that is definitely shrinking and a lot of talents are leaving the country. You know, human capital is the real capital for a country and we think that maybe three, four hundred thousand young men, well educated, the IT engineers and etc. has left um, for uh, Kazakhstan, has left for Serbia, has left for other European countries. Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: two questions more. Um, the digital divide which exists across the world. Now, it is a, it's mentioned in your risk report as well uh, about the challenges which um, uh, you know, an improper spread of digitization can result in. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? What do you see as some of the challenges there? So, one of
1: the fundamental challenges mm-hmm. when it comes to poverty eradication mm-hmm. and growth in emerging economies is this digital divide. Around 3.6 billion people, half of our population don't have access to reliable and competitive internet. Uh, How can the children uh, in uh, households uh, then benefit and learn the new technologies if they're not even connected. Many schools are not connected and this could have been such a possibility for leapfrogging because today you can sit at home and you can have access to great teachers at Harvard or some other great schools and you can do it digitally but a prerequisite for being part of this uh, economy Uh, the fourth industrial revolution is that you have, have to have digital um, access and that's why we launched also uh, this uh, Edison initiative yes. from the forum yes. we have hundreds of companies signing up and we want to make sure that every child and every school in the world has access to reliable
0: and competitive internet in the future um, Cybersecurity, whether it affects uh, individual countries or companies uh, it's, it's a huge problem Cybersecurity, how much is that a threat or a challenge going forward since
1: our societies are more and more relying uh, on technologies, the internet, of course, only small cyber attacks related to hydro or re- related to your financial system, uh, your banking system. All this is digital now, can have terrible consequences. So that's why we also have to build resilience. We have to also be prepared for the worst. And, uh, we should not underestimate uh, the cost of inaction when it comes to cybersecurity and we should not uh, have that as a blind spot because then we're going to pay a huge, huge price. Maybe uh, the next pandemic is a uh, cyber pandemic uh, going on uh, on our uh, digital infrastructure and if that is brought down uh, then we will see of course major, major economic impact. So we, we, we should not be complacent.
0: One final question, um, and you know before we started, we were chatting on this. The G20, India has taken over presidency. Uh, it's being seen as a huge event across, uh, across my country, and, and perhaps rightly so, because it is an opportunity for developing countries to speak together as one voice. And what you are looking at over here this year is the problem with fragmentation. How does the G20 potentially address that?
1: I think uh, this is a huge opportunity for the government of India and also uh, for the leadership of uh, Prime Minister uh, Modi. Uh, I think uh, the G20 has to focus on a new growth compact. We need to get growth back. A further fragmentation of the global economy will lead to less growth and more poverty. It's the first time we see now that the poverty rate is increasing globally. We have had three decades with lower poverty rates. This is very, very serious. So I think that there will be no recovery without the trade and investment recovery. So if India can create like a global growth compact where you include also uh, fighting climate change, trade and investments, also to use the new technologies to leapfrog, that would be uh, something uh, very, very important. And to inject trust again in the global
0: systems because that is unfortunately lacking. Absolutely. Uh, Mr. Borgo-Brenda, wonderful speaking to you. Thank you. There we have it, uh, Mr. Borgo-Brenda, the President of the World Economic uh, Forum, telling us a little bit about the challenges ahead. Uh, There are challenges at so many levels, but there's also somewhat of a sense of optimism that if the world were to become less fragmented, if a lot of these issues, particularly the environmental issues, the climate issues were looked at seriously, then millions around the world would gain.